This morning we are uh, diving in, uh, continuing our sermon series, the story, where we're looking at God's story. So, and by the way, happy Reformation Day to everybody as well. I know as you got out of bed this morning, you were probably thinking about that, but I uh, just want to say that to you as well. So uh, I want to begin this morning by uh, giving you a little story. I know that I'm still kind of new on staff here. I've been here for a couple months, but I thought, you know, what a great opportunity for you to get to know more about your discipleship coordinator here. And by discipleship coordinator, it means that I work with the small groups and some of the classes and stuff like that that we're doing. So, all right. So I want to start this morning with the story. Now, I don't know what you were like in high school, but I was a drastically different kind of person than I am now. In fact, if I... If I had a conversation with you in high school and you told me that I was going to stand up in front of this many people uh, and talk for a little while and, and share a message, especially a Christian message at a church, well, I'm pretty sure that you would have laughed at me. I would have laughed at you because uh, there's no way that, that I thought that that was ever going to happen because I wasn't always this outgoing person that you see in front of you, all right? And from time to time... I actually had a little bit of shyness in me. I was intimidated. I was scared. I was afraid. I just, I just wasn't really into being in front of large groups of people and doing things, uh, even being in positions of leadership where people were going to demand something of me, where there was pressure uh, put on me. And from time to time, people would take advantage of this. Now, I don't know if you had anybody like this in your high school, kind of the people that you really got along with, but then there are the people that were just always kind of that thorn uh, in your sight. And I can think of one classmate in particular this morning that just wouldn't leave me alone. And it just drove me nuts. And it's not like I would go and tell anybody that it bothered me. It's not like I would stand up to this guy. It's not like I would defend myself uh, per se. And so he would come and he would call me names. He would just give me a hard time, embarrass me in front of my friends. Uh, and for the longest time, I mean, my entire life growing up until this point, actually, it seemed like there was nothing that I could do about it. That is, until one day where I decided that I had had enough. Now, uh, I don't know about your high school, but my high school, every year, the football team, they go away for a week or whatever, and then when the football team comes back, what do we have? Pep rally. Pep rally. We have homecoming, right? Did any of you go to homecoming in high school? Right? You had a homecoming celebration. Well, my high school, they had, a, they had a dance, they had a parade, they'd have all these things uh, to kind of celebrate the, the football season, whether we were winning or whether we were losing, which really didn't seem to matter. But along with that, they had some other silly things planned. So we had, uh, we had some fun things you could do, activities, pep rallies, but also we had uh, these dress code days. And so everybody in the school would show up and they would wear something in particular. One day was class color day, and so you got to wear all blue or whatever you were, depending upon what grade you were in high school. Uh, my personal favorite, come as you are day. You could just roll out of bed and, and uh, get to school. But the day I'm thinking of in particular was uniform day. And so because my best friend worked at McDonald's and we thought that that was really cool, me and 17 of my closest friends, we all decided, hey, let's dress up like we go to McDonald's, like we work at McDonald's. So for one entire day of my high school life, I dressed up uh, and I showed up to school, spent the entire day in my class looking like I worked at McDonald's restaurant. And my classmate, though, as I'm sitting at the lunch table that day, he has... He has an opportunity, and he saw it. So as I was sitting at the lunch table having a great time with my friends this morning, he came up behind me, and he grabbed my hat. Now, normally not a big deal, but for some reason, 
in the past, I would always let it go. But for some reason this day, I thought, you know what? That's it. This guy is going to pay. So I said what anybody would say in that situation. I said, hey, dude, give it back. And he said, no way. And he kind of just casually walked away. So at that point, I stood up. And I started walking after him. And by the way, I'm scared out of my mind already as this is going on. But I stood up and I grabbed him by the arm. And he kind of pulled away and he said, what are you doing? I was like, give me my hat back. I want it back. And he did what any bully does probably at that point when somebody stands up to him. He took off running in the opposite direction. So puzzled by the fact that my friend had just, well, this not so much of a friend, but uh, this, this classmate of mine took off running through the school I didn't know what to do. Should I chase him? Should I let him go? I mean, what's going on? And so I kind of looked at my friends and they looked at me. And before I know it, I was running through the school chasing this guy. And we went through the lunchroom, around the tables, almost knocking people over. Finally, he goes into the kitchen. And as he's trying to skate, and I think at this time he's really surprised that I'm trying to go after him. He begins to slide out the back door. He tries to escape through the back door of the kitchen outside of the school. And there I saw my opportunity. I kind of just waited until the moment was just right. And his body was just in the door, and I just went like this. I just went, boom! And I held the door there, pinning him in it. He tried to wiggle and escape, but I had him. I had him after all of these years, after being picked on for all of these years by this one classmate my opportunity had finally come. And he'd try to throw words at me. He tried to get back at me. But as I held him there, pinned in the door, with quite possibly the greatest amount of satisfaction, just with pride oozing out of me that I'd ever had in my life, I walked up to him, I grabbed my hat, and I said, see you later, pal. And then in my imagination, I walked off into the sunset. But needless to say... He didn't bother me after that. Now, I'm guessing this morning, as you came on this wonderful, sunny Sunday morning to Lutheran Church of Hope, and you thought, of all the stories that I'm going to hear to open a sermon, by a pastor, of all people especially, getting even with a bully, standing up for yourself, is, is that what you thought? But here's why i got to tell you that story this morning. Because for the first time in my life, among the many times that I felt like I had been attacked, I entered into the battle. Instead of running away scared, and a crazy thing happened, I won. So the question that I want to throw your way this morning to get us started here is when is the last time that you felt that same way? Not so much if you won or lost, but by what I mean there is, when was the last time that you felt you or someone you love were being attacked. Where is it and when was it that last time that someone or something in your life was working to steal the joy out of your circumstances? When is it you felt like life had been turned upside down by something else? And some of you may be sitting here this morning and you say, wow, Andy, I'm really excited for you. I'm glad that you decided to grow a backbone and stand up to some guy that stole your hat at high school. Whoop-de-doo. When I look at my life right now, you might be saying this morning, I don't have any bullies. I don't have any enemies. I, I don't have anybody that I even hardly disagree with. And if that's you this morning, I want to say praise God. But I know for some of us here this morning, 
man, it was just a battle to get here. And I'm not just talking about the freezing cold temperatures, although after being in California for the past year, it's, it's just a little uh, chilly here for, for me this morning. But don't you know at least somebody in your life that's probably struggling even with their health? Isn't there something inside of us that's fighting against you, this, this habit, this hurt, this hang-up, this thing that's attacking us? Wherever you are in this room this morning, whether you, life has been a cakewalk for you lately or it's just been defeat after defeat after defeat, I want to let you know that all of us are in a battle this morning and maybe we don't even know it. In fact, we all have an enemy. We all have an enemy and he is real. So 1 Peter 5.8 talks about this enemy and, and names him. And I want to put that up on the screen and I want to read this together. Let's read this together out loud. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion for someone to devour. We all have an enemy, and his name is the devil. His name is Satan. And maybe you have different understandings of this. Maybe you just think, ah, oh, that's just a story. Maybe it is. But there are so many times in our life, even as I was sitting in a men's Bible study yesterday, and we were talking about some of this very topic, the fact that we're in a battle, that we're engaged in battle, the internet kept going out, and somebody made the joke, well, maybe all electronics are tools of the devil, and God uses, or Satan uses them to attack us. I don't know if you've ever had any issues with your computer, or maybe you've had a challenge with a, a copy machine, or whatever, but it feels like at times that something is attacking us, and the scriptures are crystal clear about this. We do have an enemy, and because he's our enemy, his greatest intention is to come between us and God. Satan is alive and well and active in this world. And he wants nothing more than to drive a wedge between us and God. And he's so intent on achieving his purpose. He is so crafty that he'll do whatever it takes. He'll use anything, even the good stuff that God gives us, the devil has this incredible ability to turn it around and begin to use it to drive us from God. So if we're talking about battles this morning, I thought, how on earth can I stand up here and talk about battles and not put on some awesome man movie clips? So let's take a look at this. And as you watch this clip, think about the battle that you are in right now. What is that thing as you walk in here this morning, that burden that you feel like you're carrying with you that's just weighing you down? And it's requiring, it's draining your batteries as you work to battle against it. Let's take a look. Risk open war. Open war is upon you, whether you would risk it or not. So I want to ask you this morning, are you in the battle? Are you ready for the battle that's taking place. And I want to be careful as we talk about this this morning because there's a tendency among Christians whenever any little thing goes wrong to say on one side of it, oh, God, God is just, he's just nowhere to be found right now. The devil is in control and everything seems to be going wrong. And every little detail in our lives, we begin to play that blame game and look at it. And yet on the other hand, there's a continuum where we can think we don't have an enemy at all. And we can just pretend in one of the greatest strategies I think that the devil has ever used as he works to divert uh, and squash God's plans is convincing this idea that he doesn't even exist. 
So as we look at these two polar opposites this morning, these perspectives, I want to make sure that we're pointing down the, the middle and we think about this idea that we do have an enemy, but we also have a God who is stronger and more capable than that. And so it's important that we don't just relax, but we get in the battle, but we also keep a realistic sense about it. And the other thing is that we need to be careful that this battle is not an excuse for us to misuse uh, and, and misappropriate God's power. In no way as we fight this battle are we ever under God's orders to go against people. That's why later on in the book of Ephesians, uh, chapter 6, we get a picture of what this battle looks like. And it's not a battle against people. It's a battle against the devil. It's a spiritual battle. So let's read this verse together as well from Ephesians chapter 6. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. It's a battle that we can't see, but it's certainly a battle that we experience. And like I was saying earlier, the reality is, though, that this battle that we're facing, the consequences of it, there are, they are tangible. They are physical. And there's two kinds of battles that we typically get engaged in. There's the battle with the things that happen to us. Maybe the hurts. Maybe the lowlights in your story. Maybe the things that challenge you. Maybe the sickness. The harm that others have done to you. But then there's another kind of battle that we face that's equally as challenging to fight. There's the battle with temptation, the battle with doubt, the battle with ourselves, the battle within. Because I know at times in my life, I can be my own worst enemy. So sometimes things go our way, sometimes they don't. But regardless what happens, fighting these battles, fighting the good fight, as Paul talks about, it's exhausting. And if you try and fight this battle on your own, and eventually our resources run short. And we need to call in for backup. And so the questions I want to ask you again this morning is, when was the last time you felt like that? But who do you have in your life to fight with you? And even more importantly, when you don't have the strength, who will fight for us? Because when our batteries begin to wear down, when we wear out in this battle, we begin to continue to do what we as human beings know what to do best. We go and we trust ourselves. But when we come to the end of our rope, do we give up? Do we call it a day and throw in the towel? Or is there someone who is fighting for us? And as we continue our journey through the Bible this week, looking at the story of Joshua, we begin to see that God has a crystal clear answer to this question. Who will fight for us? God will fight for us. So if you have your story Bibles with you this morning, uh, I invite you to turn to page 89. We're going to walk through this story. And there's a lot of things you can look at and you look in the story of Joshua. But again, I want to stress this point that if we're all engaged in this battle, then what is it that God has to say to us this morning? What is it that God wants us to know as we go and we engage the enemy. So I want to start reading on page 89. It's the beginning of chapter 7. And I want to walk through this story. And as we continue to walk through this, I want you to ask the question, who is doing the work here? So beginning at the beginning, 
After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, as we just heard, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then you and all these people will get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land that I am about to give them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert of Lebanon, from the great river to the Euphrates, throughout the land, God is saying. And then he lets Joshua know how this is all going to turn out. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, he says. Be strong and courageous. It's an easy thing to think about as you're having a conversation with God when you're not in the heat of the battle. But we have to remember that this idea of leading Israel even across the river into the promised land, it hasn't been going well. The entire story we've been talking about, the books of Exodus and Numbers and Deuteronomy are filled with stories where Israel just can't seem to get it right. So this idea of leading God's people, it is no small task because Israel struggles with trusting God. Remember that last time God said something about taking him to the promised land? If you could, turn to page 75 in your books. Because I want to go back to one of these stories, especially the last time that they talked about sending in spies to look at the promised land. Page 75. At the end of 40 days, and these spies had been there looking checking out the land. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. They reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. And then Moses gave them this account. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land which you sent for us. Does it flow with milk and honey? But the people who live there are powerful. And the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak. But then Caleb, one of the few who gets it, silenced the people before Moses and he says, we should go up and take possession of that land. I know it's going to be tough, he says, but we should do it anyway. But the men who had gone up with him said, we cannot attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites as a bad report as the land that they explored. Have you ever been in a position where you have to convince people to do something and nobody wants to go with you? That is the challenge that Joshua has been confronted with. Leading this group of people, that night it says, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt, they said, or in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Leading this group of people is not going to be an easy thing. And if Joshua is going to make it happen, then he's going to need some help. And so jumping back again to, the, to page 90, again, God gives him some instructions. He says, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law your servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or the left so that you'll be successful in what you do. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. 
Joshua has a challenge laid down in front of him, equal to the challenge that we have in front of us today, to trust God and to step out in faith. And that's exactly what Joshua does, as he sends his own spies now into the territory. And God continues to meet them, are, to meet them where they are as they encounter a woman, a prostitute named Rahab. And she, she welcomes them in their home. She protects them. She keeps them hidden from the government. And before they go down that night, it says at the bottom of page 90, she went up to the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all in this country are melting in fear because of you. The people have heard what's going on and they're terrified. We've heard how the Lord dried up the Red Sea for you, what you did to those other countries. When we heard it, our hearts melted in fear for everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is in heaven above and the earth below. So not only do we see as Joshua is getting ready to take these people across and he sent in these spies, God isn't just harboring those spies and keeping them safe, but he's working up some fear in those people. God has gone ahead. God is already at work in what's going on. And in the midst of the battle that you are in these days, when was the last time that you've seen God provide for you? God's provided for Joshua. He's working out in advance. Is it possible that as you look at the battle that you are in, that God is working in that situation, but he has yet to reveal it to you? God is already at work in the city of Jericho, but the Israelites are still on the other side of the river. And eventually they work their way across and they come to the city itself on page 92. And I think it's interesting as, as this happens, as we begin to see, God gives some very particular instructions. Now the gates of Jericho, it says, were securely barred from the Israelites. No one went out, no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. And here's the instructions God gives. Think about this. March around the city once with all our men. Do this for six, six days. Have seven priests carry the trumpets of ram horns in front of the ark. And on the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast of the trumpet, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the walls of the city will collapse and the army will go up and go straight in. Now, when I hear God giving these instructions, for some reason, I can't get out of my head the voice of Steve Irwin, the crocodile hunter. Anybody ever see that show? Right? Now, what I'm going to do here, I'm going to go in and I'm going to send you Israelites out and around and you've got to march and you've got to blow the horn. And I need to work on my Australian accent, I know. But can't you just picture him saying, cool mate, at the end of these instructions? I mean, it's just a little ridiculous, right? I mean, there's these huge walls. Jericho is a towering city. And yet God continues to invite the Israelites to challenge him, to trust him. He challenges them to trust him, to walk around the city, to walk around for an entire week and seven times to blow the horn and yell loudly. 
What an interesting sound that must have made. I mean, if only we had a ram's horn here this morning with us. I mean, only if there was somebody in this group that owned one of those. And wait, wait, what's this right here? Oh my goodness. Is there anybody out here that feels like they know how to play one of these? Anybody? Trust me, if I do this, it's going to be horrible and embarrassing. Come on. All right, you guys, everybody say hi, Pat. Pat is a man of God who's courageous. He's been working on this too. I gave him a heads up that we were going to be doing this. But the thing is that this, uh, this symbol, this, this noise of freedom, it's the very signal that God is going to deliver this, this city to them. That these people haven't been just marching around for a week pointlessly embarrassing themselves. I mean, imagine what the people up on this wall must have been saying. What are the soldiers thinking that are in Jericho looking at these silly Israelites walking around? Yet when that horn blows, Israel has, Israel has to make a decision. Do I go? Do I yell? I mean, God asks for a response. So what I want to do this morning is I want, to, I want to invite you to participate in this as well. I want you to experience the decision that the Israelites have to make. As he yells this, I want to see how loud and rowdy this crowd can be. Are you guys with me? All right? So he's going to, he's going to play... You're going to yell. And as you yell, I want you not just to think about some silly guy up here that's making you yell. You can stand up. You can jump around if you want. But I want you to think about that time in your life, that battle that you're in right now, where you, and maybe it's coming up, maybe you're not there yet, maybe it's already happened, where God showed up and God was victorious in your life. If there's a reason that you have to love God, then I want you to jump up and express that as my buddy Pat blows the horn. Are you guys with me? Come on, are you with me? All right, because we have a God that is worthy to be praised, and here we go. <laughs> All right, do we have a reason to praise God this morning? That's good. Let's give Pat a hand, shall we? All right. That is the noise that they heard. Now, I'm guessing maybe, you know, Pat, I gave him a couple days notice, but I'm guessing Israel was just a little terrified as they're walking around. I'm sure that they were challenged and really wondering how this was going to go. But as the story turns out, and I'm on the wrong page... As, as they find out, as God says, march around this city, the trumpet sounds, the army shouts, and at the sound of that trumpet, the men gave a loud shout and the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in and they took the city, they devoted the city to the Lord. And they destroyed with the sword everything living in it. One of the things that God constantly tells Joshua as he steps out in leadership, and keep in mind, Joshua is probably leading about the craziest, un, most unreliable group of people that they have ever seen. God constantly is saying, be strong and courageous. He's saying, remember. What is that story for you where God has come through? What is that time in your life where God has delivered you? Because whatever walls that you see in front of you, isn't our God so much bigger than that? Amen? Whatever challenges we face, whatever seems to be holding you back, 
Is God not bigger than that? And this is a lesson that they begin to learn over and over and over again as the Israelites continue to walk this journey with God. As they begin to realize that sometimes they're going to get it right. Sometimes they're not going to get it right. They make decisions and they fight battles that were just completely, they were completely unprepared for because they didn't spend time with God. And other times they take very clear directions and they follow God. But the point is that Israel was in the battle. And when we look at what it means to be successful, to live the victorious Christian life, being in the battle is half of the battle. It's most of the battle. And as they continue, as it says in Joshua 10, 42, found on page 98, it says all of these kings, there's a whole list of them in this story, all these kings and their lands, Joshua conquered in one campaign because the Lord, the God of Israel, fought for Israel. And so as time progresses, as they march on, Joshua pulls the troops together and he decides that as this land has been given to them now, they've kicked everybody out, God has worked and he's kept his promise, this nation now is becoming a nation, Joshua decides that it's time to renew the covenant. It's time to bring the people back to God and make promises to him. So I want to read this story to you. I want to, I want to share with you some of the words that Joshua reads. And as, we read, as you read scripture, the choice of verbs, the ways that the language is structured, it absolutely makes sense. As I read this to you, I want you to think about who is the main character. Who is the one that's doing all of the work in this? We've been following this story now for seven weeks. And God, as you can see, went all the way back to Abraham, is bringing forth this group of people. I mean, Abraham, do you remember way back when, when we talked about that? He didn't even think he could have a kid. And now there's this, these thousands of people turned into a nation. This is what Joshua has to say as he walks through and makes this covenant with his people. This is what the Lord says. Long ago, your ancestors lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshiped God. But I, God says, took your father Abraham into the land beyond the Euphrates and led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. Then I, says God, sent Moses and Aaron. I afflicted the Egyptians by what I did there. And I brought you out of Egypt. And when I brought you out of Egypt, God says, you came to the sea and the Egyptians pursued you with chariots. But they cried to the Lord for help. And I put darkness between you and the Egyptians. I brought the sea over them and covered them. You saw with your own eyes what I did to them. And then you lived in the wilderness for a long time. But we'll just skip over that part. I brought you the land to the Amorites who lived east of the Jordan. They fought against you, but I, God says, gave them into your hands. I destroyed them before you, and you took possession of their land. Their land. Your enemies came against you, but I would not listen to them. So I blessed you again and again. I delivered you from them. And the story keeps continuing. Then you crossed the Jordan and you came to Jericho, but I gave them into your hands. I set the hornet ahead of you, which drove them out. So I gave you a land on which you did not toil, and I gave you cities that you did not build. And you live in them, and you eat from their vineyards and the olive groves that you did not plant. Does that sound like a God 
who fights for his people. Do you think maybe that God just loves his people then and in Christ, those of us that are worshiping him today? Do you think God just loves his people maybe just a little bit? Absolutely. And the question that we have to ask ourselves this morning is why does God continue to fight for us? The answer, because it's this very, if you go all the way back to that covenant, it's because God loves the world. John 3.16 is the most quoted Bible verse because it sums it all up for us. God loved the world so much that he came to save us. And that's what's going on in this covenant because God is on a mission in this world to save you and to save me, to save all of us. And the cool part about being saved is that we don't just become saved and just sit around and enjoy ourselves. But God invites us into the battle as well. God invites us into the mission. And I got to tell you, the thing that I love about this church more than anything else is that you people, you people know how to fight for the hearts and the minds and the love of others. I mean, think about this church and all of the awesome things that we do. We have a great mentoring program going on for the school, the kids that belong in this school. A couple dozen people signed up to give their time. Lives are being changed through that. We're going to have a Halloween party with some refugees. What a great way to fight for those people, to show them that God loves them, to defeat the enemy that's constantly telling us that we're not enough. We have life groups that care for one another. And even next week, as we celebrate Prayer and Care Sunday, we're going to have even more people get in the game and realize that part of following God, part of being in this community, is to continue to fight for the people around us. Not with them, but to fight for them. And this idea of fighting for people is nothing new for the Christians and the Christian tradition. I mean, what a great church we are. We even fight for people by throwing hot dogs at them in a parade, right? Because that's what it looks like to fight for the people of this world. It's to fight by showing them God's love. And like I said, this tradition is nothing new. A long time ago, there's a guy named Martin Luther, and we've talked about it already this morning, who saw some people that were in bondage. Their understanding of God was completely different than what the reality is. They thought that they had to buy their way into heaven. They had to do something. But as Martin Luther battled with himself, again, remember what I said about that battle within. God used him to change the entire world. So let's take a look. In the 16th century, the church practice of indulgence had become corrupted. People were charging money in exchange for the forgiveness of sins. The leaders of the church were abusing God's gift of grace for profit. Meanwhile, a monk named Martin Luther, a theologian of the scriptures, was questioning his personal salvation. He struggled to understand the scripture in Romans 1, 16-17. Paul proclaims the good news of God's justice, saving us by His grace, not by what we have done. As he studied the passage, he first understood the gospel message that God forgives sins through faith. This new understanding contradicted what he saw practiced in the church. In 1517, he wrote these differences in 95 Theses, which challenged the church he loved to rethink their actions. 
This marked the beginning of the Protestant Reformation. This movement changed our views on justification, the authority of Scripture, and church leadership. People's views of God were no longer limited to fear and judgment, but expanded to see Him as Comforter and Savior. That idea, is God a God of judgment or is God a guy who loves us? Is God a savior or is he someone that's distant and far away off that is just completely removed from our lives? I mean, the work that Luther did, and keep in mind that this battle for him nearly cost him his life. I mean, he went up against the church and the government. It would be so easy to sit here this morning and say all of those battles that were fought, even in the pages of Scripture, all of those conversations and those confrontations that Martin Luther had with the world around him, it would be so easy to sit here on this Sunday morning in this nice warm gym and say, man, that must have been easy. But the reality is, as we engage in this battle, as God sends us out the door, not just to be spiritual consumers, but to be people who fight for the people in our lives. People who fight for the world around us. I mean, what do you think it means to reach out to the world around us with the everlasting love of Jesus Christ? That is why we exist as a church. So this morning, I want to call us all to stand up and to fight for the battles that we are engaged in. And maybe this morning you've walked in here and your battle, it's with yourself. And I want to let you know that God's grace is so big and so wide, although it seems unbelievable, that it's very real. And we have people here this morning that want to fight for you. We call them prayer partners over here and they'll be here after the service. But maybe your battle is something outside of you this morning and maybe it's something that someone else has done. You didn't ask for it. It just showed up. I want to let you know this morning too that God is here to heal your wounds. Sure, those walls in Jericho, they had to have looked humongous. But I think it's so true that God is so much bigger than any walls that we face. This morning, I want to ask you, who is God asking you to fight for? Yes, we have the battles we're fighting ourselves, but who is God asking you to fight for? So as we stand together right now, And as we worship God, I want to pray for you. I want to pray for the people that you're going to meet today and tomorrow and the next day. Because as a church, we want to be known as a people who fights on behalf of God, who we fight the battles that God is fighting for us. Let's pray. God, thank you so much this morning, Lord. Lord, for getting us out of bed and for bringing us here on a chilly morning. And as we adjust to the seasons, God, would you continue to adjust our hearts and our minds? God, would you open our eyes to the battles around us? But God, would you also come to us and would you minister to us in the battles that we're engaged in? God, for those of us that are in this room this morning are just even wondering if you exist or if you even care, God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. God, we know that you are victorious. God, we know that you love us and that you hear us. And God, just as that ram's horn 
sounded in Jericho that day, God, that is our battle cry. God, as we hear go from you this morning, God, I pray that we can respond just as the Israelites did, God, that we will shout with victory and we will charge into the thick of it. And God, we will see you do incredible things. God, thank you for this morning. And it's together that we worship you and we pray in your name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen.